Have your priorities changed? Is going to church or reading your Bible still on your urgent list? This morning at TPLS, Pastor Sadler speaks on how this can be the start of soul erosion. Revelation 3 and 1, And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saying he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that livest and are dead. Verse 2, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. I'll go ahead and read verse 3. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come unto thee as a thief and thou shalt know what hour I will come upon thee. I want to preach a very simple thought today called soul erosion. Everybody say that with soul erosion. Now, I know that seems like an abstract title, but I want you to put your Bibles down and lift your hands and your hearts towards heaven. I can't speak for you, but I can speak to me. Things in this world can cause me to lose focus and allow me to get overwhelmed. And today, for just a little bit of time, I want God's Word and God's Spirit to step in this place and help us determine that we will grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Is that okay? Jesus, today, thank you for your people. God, we don't have it all figured out, but we do know this. We need you. Help us today. God, if there be any hindrance, any fear, any doubt, let it be cast out. And God, let your love and truth be loosed in this place today. And everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen. We have been in a series called Let My People Grow, and we covered some topics such as you will finish if you don't quit. Everybody say amen. And then we discussed being determined not to fail. Who's ever fallen? But falling is not failure. It's not final if you get back up. Everybody say, I'm getting back up. Okay. And then we studied last week how we grow through adversity, that sometimes the most difficult things in life reveals uh, the character of God that he's put in us, and it gives it an opportunity to come forth. And so we don't look for adversity, but we know that even in adversity, God can bless us. Amen. And so we read today that Jesus speaking through his servant John talking to the seven churches of Asia. And some feel like these are dispensations of the church age. Others feel like they are teachable moments for all churches. Today, I say there's a great lesson for us found in this text. It's talking about that there is in the church a reputation, but there's also a reality. And sometimes we have a great reputation, but we're struggling in our reality. We have emulated that all is well, and we've got it all figured out, and we've dressed so finely, and we 
we dine so finely and we're doing so well, but in reality, there's very little substance. I'm, I'm talking about me today. And that is, under the surface, what sustains us in the example of the earth and plants and growing is soil. Who knows that you're made of soil? You're made of the dirt, and God created you out of the dirt of the ground. And the reality is that under the surface of the plant, the soil can be eroded or depleted. And you're maybe thinking, Pastor, what's erosion? Erosion means to erode, which means to diminish or destroy by degree. Sometimes we think of extreme things like, oh, the devil and his uh, horns and pitchfork is coming to get me, and I would never fall for that. But who remembers the children's song, the devil is a sly old fox, and he doesn't come in horns and a pitchfork. He'll come in little ways over a long period of time, and before you know it, you're compromised. Before you know it, you've been deceived. Before you know it, everything that sustains you has been stripped away. It's not one big attack, it's a lot of little nagging attacks. I can't speak for our staff here at the church. We have been inundated with gnats and flies the last couple of weeks. You do not believe how irritating and annoying... After a while, you just pull your hair out and run in the parking lot. They're all over me, right? I mean, did you ever think you'd be killed by a fly? But after a while, just shoot me because they're just driving me crazy. There's no peace. Our enemy, the devil, has the same agenda he's always had to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I believe in the church, it's not a frontal assault. It's those little nagging under the surface allowing erosion to deplete and destroy over time. That will bring us down. Now, we don't think about it today, but the great city of Philadelphia is a great commerce. It's the city of brotherly love. It's where a lot of founding fathers lived. It's a lot of historical facts happened. Before that, it was a shipping town. It had a harbor. And at the edge of that harbor, it had a, a rock cliff. And at the top of that rock cliff was a lighthouse. And that lighthouse was a beacon of light in the shipping lanes to, uh, to bring ships into the port where they safely could land and port and unload their cargo. And Philadelphia was very successful because it had a great lighthouse. It was well positioned. What the people didn't realize is after decades of the sea washing against the rock wall, it began to compromise the structure under the lighthouse. Everybody say the foundation. Until finally one day they heard a rumble and what they did not see because it was under the surface, it literally was a crack and the mountain face fell off and the lighthouse went into the ocean. What was there to bring direction and safe passage is now destroyed. Not because the lighthouse wasn't built well, it's because what it was built on was not built well. Can I tell you there are things that we can build our life on that look good and sound good and sometimes even feel good, but it's not if trouble comes, it's when trouble comes, when the storms of life over time begin to erode. Has anybody here been to the Sadler house? We call it Happy Acres. We, it's called No Dramaville. 
We choose to have no drama. And if you drive in there, the, it's a beautiful flat yard. It's so nice. I grew up on the side of a hill. We had to mow our yard in plateaus when I was a kid. You didn't turn your back on the push more because it'd go down the hill with the motor store. So we, we learned very quickly on a hill. It's, it's laborious. It's, it's difficult. But I was so thankful to get this house and we built But I remember the first mowing season, how I would get on my 42-inch craftsman riding lawnmower and I'm mowing grass and after we'd lived there some months I, every so often I'd hit the kabump and I about j jiggle me off the mower and I thought I'd blown a tire but the tire was fine and I'd do another loop and I'd hit this same general spot bloop again and I said it, the grass is level because I mowed right over it and the grass is all the same it looks great but as the weeks went on it got worse and worse and finally Julie called me one day and said honey there's red clay in the backyard. The kids are out there playing. It's a river. I took the distance look. I didn't look just at the grass. I took it. I went over to past my neighbor's house and looked. And you would not notice it unless you realize what was going on. But we really have a little. We're on a little bit of a of, of, a, of a ledge. We're really there's a there's an angle slope. To our, and it starts way up the street. And so like five houses up, all of a sudden it rains and it just begins to flow. And by the time it gets down here, it's almost like a river. And under the grass, we didn't notice it. But after it had run long enough and had taken away enough soil, all of a sudden the grass gave away. And now we had a rut in the backyard. I'm, I'm preaching. And I had to call a civil engineer friend of mine. I said, man, what are we going to do about this? He said, the only way to overcome that, it's twofold. One, you got to divert the water. So I had to get me a bunch of hay bales and go way back up and put a boundary where that water couldn't wash over it. And then I had to go get me some grass seed. Now, I didn't buy any of that old fescue stuff. I went and bought that stuff that's got the grass seed fertilizer and mesh all in one. Looks like greeny moss looking stuff. And I put it down in that trench and I stood guard over it. Do you understand? It took two things. The diversion of the problem and then rebuilding uh, what had been lost. I'm, I'm going I'm to preach. Now, the irony is what is true in my backyard is true in our physical bodies. Who admits over time we can let ourselves go? It's not a rut. <laughs> not a rut we have. But, you know, I just, I picked up four pounds this year. I think going through a whole year and only picking up four pounds, I've done pretty good. But over a 10-year period, that's now 40 pounds. Everybody say, I can't get my britches to button. And if I do, somebody's going to lose an eye. Our physical body, if we don't restrain and maintain, we can get overwhelmed and out of shape. Who admits financially? We can allow our finances to erode. You ever got paid and had a wad of money in your pocket on Friday? And by Monday, you're scraping change out of the floorboard to get gas or get a cup of coffee? It'll grow legs and walk off from you money. It will just flow through your pockets and through your fingers. And if we're not careful and we're not intentional, it will what? It will erode and evade us. It will come up missing. If it is true physically, true financially, who thinks there can be an erosion in your relationships? 
Oh, man, you're my BFF. We're going to stay close forever. And we talk every day, and then little distance comes, and guess what? We talk once a week, and then we talk once a month, then we talk once a year, then we talk every now and again, and then you're no longer friends. There's an erosion in the relationship. If it can be true physically and financially in relationships, who believes you can have spiritual erosion? That means you can be swept away from a close relationship with God. It's not one big thing. It's the continual flow of little things. Oh, but pastor, I still look the part. I still am obtaining some nutritional value, but there's no fruitfulness. Your roots are exposed. The ground around you is now unstable. I still come to church. I still give occasionally. He's talking to the church at Sardis. He says you have a reputation for being alive, but you are mostly dead. And what is still alive is dying. You look the part, you're still planted, you're still coming to church, but you're almost dead. There is spiritual erosion in our lives. For Isaiah 59 is still true that the enemy comes in like a flood. He still wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But it's not horns and pitchforks that he comes with. He comes back with the distractions of what is urgent to take the place of what is important. Urgent. I got to get money. I got to pack lunches. I got to get the kids to school. I got to do yard work. And we got to have family time. Urgent, urgent, urgent. And we neglect what's important in our life. I got a little bitty soapbox if y'all let me get on it. I keep hearing family time. Did y'all ever play hide-and-go-seek as kids? And you have ollie-ollie income free. That means no matter where you're at. Or you play freeze tag and ollie income free. And everybody who's frozen is now unfrozen. It trumped everything else that had happened going forward. I am seeing in our culture, especially in our churches, when we use the blanket of family time, I should be excused, it's become almost so spiritual that no one would come against the virtue of family time. Do I believe you need to spend time with your family? Yes. But I hear people having family time and they always choose to watch a movie and you try to talk, be quiet, we're watching a movie having family time. Or some other worldly event. There is nothing better a family can do. You need to be intentional about coming to the house of the Lord. That's not a Carlos Sadlerism. That's not a pastor of, of the Pentecostals of Smyrnaism. That is a biblical concept for Jesus. Mom and dad, when it came time for this feast, they went as a family to Jerusalem to participate in worship. They were in the house of the Lord on the Lord's day. Family time is not an excuse from God. It's an excuse to God. Why is the church the first thing we get exempted out of when life gets hard? I'm telling you, that is erosion of your soul. And the enemy will say, this is important. But you know what? It's not as important as your spiritual well-being. Soul erosion. The flood of urgency drowns out the importance of prayer. Can I tell you what? It's like that friend that you're BFFs. We're going to be close forever. But if you don't talk on a regular basis, you're going to drift apart. And when you do run into them, you don't know what to say. And it's awkward conversation. You might know what I'm talking about. 
What do we talk about? I don't know what we talk about. Good to see you. Have a great day. And we come before God and we haven't talked to him in so long. The conversation's awkward on our part. We are so urgent and we're drowning in urgency, but we don't see the importance of Bible reading. If somebody came out with a book of how to be a millionaire in 30 days or how to lose 100 pounds in six months or, or how to do this and do this, and oh, I got to have it, we'll read that book and they'll sell millions of copies. Although the Bible is still the best-selling book, there is no other way except by the Word of God for eternal life. I want you to be healthy, wealthy, and demon-free, but to be prosperous in this world and miss heaven, you have missed it all. For what does a person gain if they gain the whole world and lose their soul? will it matter a hundred years from now if you got that promotion if you had that vacation will it matter a hundred years from now if you did this or did that it won't matter if you miss out with the Lord soul erosion soul erosion soul erosion you're still coming you're planted but you're now surrounded by an environment that is not able to sustain you it is unsafe for growth it is unstable in all its ways. You're half dead and dying. Can I say this? We think that Lot just got up one day and lost his mind and, and left Uncle Abraham. That's just not true. The Bible says he was a tag-along. And Abram, his uncle, adopted him, brought him along. And we look at, at every turn, and Abraham inquired of the Lord, and Lot was blessed. Abraham built an altar to the Lord, but the byproduct was Lot was blessed. Abraham heard the voice of the Lord and obeyed, and Lot was blessed. Nowhere in there was Lot asking God. Nowhere in there was Lot building an altar. Nowhere in there was Lot hearing from God. And I'm afraid if we're not careful, we're being spiritual on somebody else's relationship. It's not what somebody else has done or has not done. You would not want to go to jail for somebody else's crimes, and you're not going to go to heaven because your grandmother served the Lord or your neighbor served. It'll be your relationship with God and your connection to Him and your obedience to His Word, your blessings. I know you can be blessed for a season because of what somebody else is doing, but it will not last. Lot, long before he moved into the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he was willing to tolerate debauchery to his daughters, and he was willing to trade everything he had to be successful in that city. Long before that, the Bible says at night, when he could have been praying or reading his Bible, he was looking at the lights of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and thinking about what it would like to be there. Long before he fell erosion to his soul through lack of maintenance to his relationship with God. I love David. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. But the Bible says that there came a day when it was time for kings to go out to war and David stayed home. His zeal had worn off. I can only imagine, he's saying, well, look at all the previous victories I've had. Look at all the good I've done. I can delegate this now and I've earned the right to stay home. And which one of you is so spiritual that you don't need to be preached to and fellowship and to worship the king of kings? Quiet in here. Don't matter where you have been with God, it's where you're at with God at this moment that matters. See, they had a reputation at the church at Sardis, but your reputation does not equal your reality. You can put off the image, I'm all that in a bag of chips, but don't mean you've got the substance. 
David stayed home. It goes on to say that he went out on his balcony, and he wouldn't have been able to go out on his balcony if he had gone to war like he's supposed to, but because he's idle now, he goes on about, isn't it amazing when we get some free time, we can find all kinds of trouble? I can't speak for everybody, but the worst thing ever created for teenage boys was idle time. One boy's bad, two boys is real bad. How do I know? Because I had a brother. And he was just about a year and a half older than me. Man, my parents kept us busy because a tired child is what? A well-behaved child. They kept us tired. But David wasn't tired. He went on his balcony, and he looked, and he saw Bathsheba. Show me in that text where he looked away, was embarrassed. No, he continued to leer. He ogled her with his eyes. And that's bad enough. But the next thing, he didn't repent. The Bible says the next thing he did is he went out and inquired, who is she? Tell me more about her. He was acting upon what was put in front of him. It's kind of like some people are tempted and they all of a sudden go out on Facebook and try to find him or her. Woo, got quiet in a hurry there. But on Facebook, I need her digits, man. I need to send her a friend request. And then you know what happens? After he was not bashful about what he saw, and then he took the next step and inquired. Then he invited her to the palace, and then he's surprised that he fell into sin. It wasn't a one-time thing. It, he didn't wake up and, with a bad hair day. It was the erosion where he got very calloused and laid back about what he had been the man after God's own heart is now pursuing his own lust and then he fell and I'd love to think that after his fall he came to himself shook himself and repented but no God had to send a prophet he tried to cover it up he had the woman's husband killed I'm telling you, it was an erosion of his soul that led to his demise. Well, Pastor, what are some signs of soul erosion? Everybody say compromise. Things you said you would never do are now okay. How about a loss of zeal? There was a time period that they couldn't keep you at home on church day if your life depended on it. And now a sniffle or a sneeze, I better stay home for the sake of the brethren. Man, it went quiet in here. Don't be surprised. Jesus said there'll come a day that those who had zeal, their love has waxed cold. They've cooled off in their commitment. What used to drive them no longer drives them. Another symptom of soul erosion is low interest in Bible study. Anything but reading the Bible seems appealing to you. You'd rather have a book about the Bible as to read the Bible. Men's books about the Bible are not the same as reading the Bible. And then you begin to rationalize sin. Everybody's doing it. Or how about this one? It's now legal. So it must be okay. We begin to rationalize sin. You created me with these passions and appetites, God, so I'm just fulfilling what you put in me. Every man is right in his own eyes. How about an unhealthy attachment to material things? You didn't even know it existed a year ago, and now you can't live without it. 
you're making major life's decisions without consulting God. Carnal wisdom. And you accept the influence of others as greater than the voice and word of God. You're more concerned about what others think than what God thinks. Well, they're going to think I'm weird if I dress modestly when I go out. I don't care what they think. I care about what he thinks. See, there is an erosion to faith over time. When you start justifying your actions and start going with the flow, there is a word for that. That is the road to destruction. You can't sleep with the devil and think you're going to bear God's children. Somehow you're going to drag God in and he's going to make what is wrong right. God, through repentance, can turn things that were sin and the result of sin, and God can turn them into a blessing, but nowhere does he say it's okay to sin and I'll justify your actions. I'll justify you by my shed blood, but your actions are still sin. It is quiet in here. Often, like our physical body over time, we want to get our best beach body and we're motivated and we eat nothing but tuna fish and spinach leaves. But it's October. And I'm not worried about my beach body anymore. And I'm just going to eat all the Oreos. And somehow or another, the devil has led you to believe you got time. So take your time and enjoy. But this word says, if you don't repent and straighten up your ways, I will come without warning. You'll never see it coming. Oh. The enemy wants to say, go with the flow, you got time. I'm telling you, Jesus says you better get your house in order. Don't let yourself go. Don't neglect your relationship with God. He's still coming. But you don't understand, I'm still coming to church. Church attendance is no more making you a Christ follower than being in the garage makes you a car. Just because you in here don't mean nothing. It's not where you're at in here. It's where you're at with Him that matters. Well, pastor, that's hard preaching. Jesus says in John chapter 6, you can read it in your own time, verses 60 through 66, Jesus gave them some hard sayings. And many disciples that had followed Him, I think it was those loaves and fish followers. I need a demon cast out, but I don't want to change my living. When he gave them some hard sayings, some things that was going to expect change and commitment and personal responsibility, the Bible says, and the masses left him, and he looked at his 12 disciples, and they're all playing mannequin man. Don't look at me. If he don't see me, maybe he won't notice me. Blend into the wall. Y'all laughing because that's what y'all do when I preach sometimes. Our old sanctuary had these little four-inch metal posts in a couple spots. I promise you, I had people that would sit behind those posts. They're a, they're a six, six, 400-pound man, and they're thinking a four-inch post is going to hide them. Come into church late. 
like I ain't going to see you. And somehow you think you can put a face on and squirm in your seat and think that God's not revealing where the Spirit's speaking. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, will you leave me also? Now, I know Simon Peter got a lot of things wrong. I know he acted first and thought second. He got himself in trouble numerous times. But I love, Brother Randall, what Simon Peter says. He says, where can we go for only you? Have the words for eternal life. I've gone to the synagogue and there is no hope. I've listened to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and there's no opportunity. But when you came preaching and you talked about there is a way that seems right to man but it's destruction. But any man who will follow me, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He said when it comes to eternal life, who else are we going to follow? Today, erosion has undercut your faith and compromised your ability to bear fruit. But I love what Revelation 3 and 2 goes on to say. In the King James, it says, be watchful. Doesn't that sound like the British? King James was British. They're the masters of understatement. You know, you're on a cruise ship, and, a, and the biggest, baddest hurricane ever to exist is coming towards your ship, and they go up on the deck and look, what? Where? I don't see it. I mean, I'm down in the bowels of the ship hiding under my bed. What? They're, they're, they're the masters of understatement. What this word, if you go back to the Greek here, instead of be watchful, what it really says, wake up! It's a command. And some of you have carb-loaded. And you're on a familiar stretch of highway. And it's late at night. And you've driven that road a million times. And you're almost home. Do you know how many people die in fatal car wrecks just a few miles from home? Because they let their guard down. And I know this way. And I got it on autopilot. And I know what I'm doing. I'm going to tell you. Many people are going to miss out with God not because they didn't know what was right. It's because they got at ease in Zion. They didn't examine themselves. They didn't take care and watch over their soul. The enemy's changed your priority. And it's no longer urgency of the things of God. It's urgency of the things of the world. But what is important? Your soul, if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul. I'm glad you got that job. I'm glad you got that career. I'm glad you got that promotion. But what is it going to matter if you miss out with God? Wake up! I love what the Word says. Strengthen the things that remain. Now, there's what it says and there's what it doesn't say. By deductive reasoning, we determine that what it says is strengthen what remains. But what it also is saying, implied here, is ignore what you've lost. How many of y'all have lost friends, loved ones, jobs, money? You've been cheated on, lied, deceived, manipulated, neglected. Family who should love you has hurt you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Who admits if you allow yourself, you can dwell on what you've lost and never move forward in your life. It'll cripple you, always complaining about what you've lost and what they did to you and how they took advantage of you, and you're crippled. Can I tell you a word? That's why John, under the unction of the Holy Ghost, Jesus speaking, says, don't worry about what you've lost. Begin to strengthen what you got left. Quit mourning about what you've lost. Focused on what you've got. I love that little widow woman who's lost it all and about to lose her sons. And the prophet comes. He didn't say, what have you lost? He says, what do you have? And she says, all I've got is a little oil. Then bring it to me. Pour it out. We need to quit worrying about what we've lost. And we need to give God what we got. You take what we got out of our hands and we put it in his hands. What is just enough to starve on? God can bless it and pay off our debt. I I don't think you're getting it. When Moses was trying to make a splash before Pharaoh, God didn't send him a special sword from heaven. He says, take what you got in your hand. And God turned. He turned a staff into a serpent to demonstrate that the one true God was at his back and was on his side. Maybe you're not getting it today. Jesus didn't say, hey, I want to feed the multitude. Tell me what we ain't got. They said what we got is five loaves and two fishes. And when they put it in his hands, he blessed it and he broke it and he fed the multitude. We need to quit worrying about what we've lost and we need to magnify God in what we got. Strengthen Strengthen what you got. Strengthen what you got. Now, y'all know I tell mama stories. My, my grandmother wasn't perfect, but what she was good at, she was just great at. And gardening plants was her thing. My brother and I used to tease her. She had airbag arms. Y'all know what airbag arms are? That's before car seats. That was before safety belts were required. And she had fluffy arms. And she'd put us in the front seat, and if she had to hit her brakes suddenly, she'd put her arm out and stop us, and our faces would hit them airbags on her arms. It was bad if she had rubbed her arms down with Jergens lotion. Anybody had Jergens lotion lips? You, why are y'all laughing? Because you know I'm telling the truth. I'm not going to get some of y'all back. I can see it now. She, in her ways, she was wise. And I spent the weekend with them. And Friday evening, I got a little bored, and I started romping around places I ought not be, and I got out in her garden. And I, I wasn't trying to hurt anything. I just took a misstep, and I stepped on a tomato plant. And I said, ooh, maybe it's okay. Denial always works. Who knows denial never works? Your arm's hanging by a little piece of skin, but it's okay. It'll be fine. Denial. Doesn't work. And so we'll sleep on it. I'll feel better about it tomorrow. And then I was still there the next day. We had breakfast, and she took her turn around the garden. And by this time, that part that I had stepped on is now withering and drying up and sagging. And she says, honey, come here. She didn't have to fast and pray. She knew if I was on the property, chances are... Honey, come here. I said, what is it? She says, did you do something to Momo's tomato plant? <laughs> Why do you ask? But it's half dead. <laughs> you know, what would you do? And I said, well, I, it was an accident. I, I stepped wrong and kind of got on it a little bit. I'm sorry. 
She says, it's okay. Do you know what she didn't do, Sister Maxine? She didn't dwell on how it got hurt. She says, the only reason I wanted to know if you had done something to it, now I know there's not a worm or a weevil under the ground, some bug or, bug or animal that attacked it. I know the origin. Once I know the cause, then I can deal. Ooh. I can deal. You know what she did? Does anybody know what a duster is? She wore one of them summertime dusters, you know, work out in the garden. you got to love a woman that keeps a pocket knife in her duster, man. And she reached down in her duster and pulled out that Barlow pocket knife, opened it up. I said, oh, she's going to cut me. No, she didn't cut me. She took that knife and she cut off that dead part. And I said, oh, where are you going to do that? She says, well, honey, that's just going to continue to get worse, and it could open up the plant to more disease, or you could get tangled in it again and pull it all the way down. So let me just remove it. And she threw it over in what we call now the compost pile. And then she went to the barn, and she got a bamboo stick. It was up in the rafters, and she pulled it out, and she pushed it in the ground. They didn't throw nothing away. She had a basket of old rags that she cut in strips, and she tied about three or four of those rags, beautiful little bows, neatly. And do you know what she did for the next several days? She, she watered. She cared for all of her plants, but she'd come to that, and she'd give it a little extra love. She, she'd make sure it was tied right and that it was leaning the right way. And then she, she went and got some miracle grow. Y'all know what miracle grow is? It, it, you know, some of y'all been on sick and y'all had steroids. Uh, miracle grow is steroids for plants. And she put that on her. Would you believe that tomato plant come alive and, and it, it produced as many tomatoes as any plant. Can, can I tell you what? She could have went over to the compost pile and wept and cried and complained and held up the dead leaves for days. Would that have helped what had, was still alive? Can I tell you what? I don't care how bad it is or what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what you've lost. If you'll give God what remaineth and you'll let it I'm telling somebody today, Jesus says in John chapter 6, when Simon Peter says, where are we going to go? He says, John, let these words abide in you, for in these words are life and spirit. What may be weak in the flesh, but God through the Spirit is mighty and able to I'm telling you, my God, through the Spirit, if He can resurrect dead bones that are bleached out in the sun in the midst of a desert, He can reach a person in a sanctuary that's lost some but hadn't lost it all. God, come by here. Speak a word to fortify me. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be rooted and grounded. I'm planted like a tree by the rivers of living water. I shall not be moved. You are... He tells him, he goes on to say, remember what was spoken to you before. Remember and repent because you know better. Anybody here been doing things that you know better? I didn't expect a lot of hands. I know better. You've been eating barbecued pork rinds and Oreos, but you got to go to the doctor Monday to have blood drawn. You're praying God comes in a sovereign way, reaches in them test tubes of blood, and... 
and turns triglycerides into vitamins. Come on, somebody. I'm not sure God's going to get involved in that. Remember and repent. Sometimes my blood pressure gets up a little bit. And I'll feel strange for a couple days. And Julie has to remind me, what you been eating? Oh, yeah. And I'll get back on the train of raisin bran and apples and bananas. And then I get feeling better. And guess what happens? I drift right back to the eggs and bacon. Can I? Can I? Oh, pastor's being too real. I'm being honest today. There are things that feel good to the flesh, but that are not are beneficial for our soul. We cannot let our faith be eroded. We cannot let the Spirit of God ruling and reign in our life be diminished. We will not be destroyed because God is not able. We will be destroyed because we don't remember that you are a child of God. We need to remember that He died that you cannot just have life more abundantly. He died that you may go free from what you are bound by. Remember that there's no temptation taking you that are common to all men. Anybody say, but you just don't know what I'm going through. You're going through the same thing everybody else is going through, but I refuse to quit growing in the nurture and admonition. You can stay home if you want to. You can go back if you want to, but don't blame God and don't say it's too hard. It's a choice. Along with that temptation that's common to man, he also made a way of escape, a way to get out, a way to be woke up. Anybody here need to be woke up today? We, we need to be more woke in the church. Not woke as the world says woke, but woke up. If you can't look at the daily news and see that the Russian bear is on the move, and it's moving its way towards Jerusalem, and we're seeing prophecy fulfilled on a daily basis. We've been so bombarded by the news, we've now let the news be eroded We've become desensitized to the news. Just because we're getting news more and quicker than ever, it is still real and relevant that Jesus is coming soon. Ready or not, He is coming. I've made up in my mind forgetting those things which are behind. I've made mistakes. I have fallen. I have missed the will of God and only by the grace of God. But I'm not going to languish over what's been lost. I'm going to pick up what I got left. And I'm going to keep moving for Jesus is the author that means he wrote the script he's established my coming in and my going out he's my author but he's also my finisher he'll drag me across the finish line I got free will I may not be able to make it but if I cry out to him in my distresses he will hear me there's a soldier that fought in the Middle East during desert storm his name's Joey Jones he got blown up by an IED, a bomb. He's missing both legs. He's a commentator now for a living. I watched his commentating for about two years before I realized he didn't have any legs. He's got those prosthetics and what would be feet or those little L-shaped spring-loaded looking. I don't know what, I'm not being disrespectful, I don't know what to call them. And somebody asked him one day, he said, I've been timid, I want to ask you, how'd you lose your leg? He said, hey, doing my job, going through life. And he said, 
I had disarmed, I can't tell you how many of these particular bombs, but I got careless, come on somebody, and got distracted, and I was just going through the motions. And they had had a different type trigger on this, and when I did what I always did, it set the bomb off. Almost died. He said, I, I wanted to give up. I saw myself at rehab in a wheelchair in a mirror, and I didn't even recognize myself. But then I got a sense that God had a purpose for my life. Woo. I love what Job realized in Job chapter 14, verse 9. Yet, through the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth bought like a plant. Seems a little abstract. If you can ever just get a little sense that God's got a plan for your life. Just a little revelation that God can take what you got left. Well, Pastor, I've served myself for 50 years. My best days are behind me. I'll tell you what, your best days are just ahead of you. Your previous experience is just prologue to get you to the place where you're living the main event, which is what God has called you to do. I don't care if you're 50, 60, 70. don't matter. It's where you're at with God today. God can do more by His Spirit in one hour than we can do in a lifetime. God can do more in one touch, in one instant of time than all the therapists, counselors, psychologists, medications, you name it, can do. God is able. There was a man living in the tombs, so possessed he's trying to kill himself and anybody who comes near him. And Jesus just touches him. He's clothed in his right mind. And let me follow you because now I got purpose. I'm going to tell you today, there's power when you find your purpose in God. Everybody always understands. But sometimes you need to affirm what you've heard. Sometimes affirmation needs to be manifest physically. Can I give you an example? David was anointed king instead of Saul. And the prophet poured oil over him. Has anything ever happened to you that you begin to wonder, did that really happen? Did God really do that? Does the Bible really say that? Does He really want me to do that? I imagine there was a few times David walking home said, did that really happen? Am I really king? And then he'd feel that gush in his shoes with that oil. The next day he got up and said, that was all a dream. And he goes to comb his hair and it's got oil in it. I'm telling you, sometimes you need to step out of your seat and begin to identify with what the Word is speaking to you. I wish if, if you could say, God, I'm going to take what I got left and I'm going to ask you by your Word and your Spirit to strengthen me today. Thank you for listening today. You can reach us at our website, www.tpos.church. To donate, you can use our text-to-give number at 615-490-9442. Until next time, go with God.